Cradleine Network. Let's, my name is Conrad, and this is the 284th episode of Space Spitter 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once more venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1993 Winter Special. It's the fifth Winter Special, price held steady at £2.35. And this time we got a grab bag of random thrills, including Judges Dread and Janice, Brigand Doom, Daudamoto, and a pair of thrills that were apparently part of the unpublished Earthside 8 comics. But enough of these uh, this thrill discussion, because I want to say hello to my guest for this episode, friend of the show, Michael. Welcome! Hi, comrade. Nice to be here. Fantastic. Welcome aboard. Always happy to have Fans of 2000 AD and a space spitter coming aboard, talking about these specials. Oh, that's yeah, tough. it's uh, it's a special one. <laughs> oh, you know these. It's 1993. You know we can only only hope for so much. I guess. Um, yeah, it, it is what it is. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. So, oh, well, I guess we'll talk about it. Actually, we'll see. Uh, but the before we get into it, I was wondering if you could uh, share with us your uh, 2080 history. Yeah, uh, so you know, I grew up on on British comics, but came to 2000 AD relatively late. So I was into the UK Transformers comic was probably the the start point for me in comics, and then Roy the Rovers. I did read the the relaunch Eagle, uh, then sort of stumbled across the 2000 AD. I think in a train station uh, mm-hmm. in 1990. Uh, prog 690 was my first uh, was my first prog. So we were still in Necropolis, um, and I just remember. Like there just being so much I didn't understand, and that that being the thing that really drove me to want to find out more and more, and I sort of went around on that holiday every news agents I could to find uh, earlier earlier episode uh, earlier progs, um, mm-hmm. and then just just went from there. Um, read it through to the late nineties, uh, and, and while sort of rereading with with you guys in Space Spinner, I can sort of see how how much the quality uh, dipped off almost immediately when I started reading. But I think at the time because I was simultaneously reading monthlies and, mm-hmm. and graphic novels. Then I was sort of getting your, your real classic thrills at the same time as the weekly might not be quite, uh, quite so good. So it never felt that bad until I guess I, I probably run out of those classic thrills by the late nineties and the, the prog hadn't got much better. So fell away uh, until early two thousands came back to it, say 2004, something like that. And have been uh, subscribing ever since. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think also, you know, when you're, when you're a, when you're a youth, I think you've got to like you'll you'll stick around with things as well, and it's sort of. I mean, I rem- I I remember a, a, reading a quote that says uh, the golden age of science fiction is when you're twelve years is is whatever's out when you're twelve, basically. So you know, I think if you were if you're getting into two thousand AD in any era, you know, that's an era that 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 becomes the era that you go to or that has a has a spot in, in your heart at the very least. Yeah, and I think that that run of progs from like six fifty to seven hundred at the time I thought was 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 absolutely amazing. And revisiting it recently, there is some brilliant stuff in there. You've got absolutely. you've got Necropolis, you've got Chopper, you've got um, the death of Johnny Alpha, you've got the horn, the end of the Horn God. 
but then things you know i enjoyed dry run when i was 12 yeah it's not it's not great <laughs> i mean I, yeah. never, I never enjoyed chronos carnival fair enough listen not great of course and i but i think that you know yeah and so far i feel like there's always been something that that that, that we can hold on to in these progs you know well, I, I think it gets really when when dread's bad that's when it's harder because you've normally got one other good thrill and if you've got dread and another good thrill you're all right but when when dread's bad as it sometimes is in this in this era era we're in at mm-hmm. the moment and the mark mark miller dreads particularly uh can can be upsetting yeah absolutely it's a it's a rough time but you know i'm uh you know i sort of let <laughs> As, as I've told Fox, like like this is the dark period. You know, this is the this like there. The, I I remember a point where we were in like nine in like that sort of necropolis era of being like you can see the storm on the horizon or whatever. And now we're in the storm, you know. And I can see things in the dis, you know in the distance. We can see the siren song of some of that late nineties or or mid nineties stuff even into the two thousands when I think we'll be sort of you know if we. If we can yeah. stick to it, I think we'll have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you remember this uh, special from w- when you were reading? Yeah, but, I mean, I definitely bought it. Um, I, I don't have any <laughs> massively distinct memories of it rereading <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, I definitely bought it. I remember the cover. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't, wow, I can't believe I'm rereading, you know, that particular thing. I think probably the the Janus is the thing that that, that struck me the most um, with the <laughs> with scarer art absolutely yeah you know we'll we'll get into it for sure um yeah so i think we can hop in i guess like like you say the cover um is by uh dow demoto artist and uh upcoming mambo droid dave hine we've got um tharg and all the characters and these uh in a fancy bubbles and a green or in, in, in a red background i should say yeah the the t on tharg's belt uh, which which I noticed Eric Bradbury is drawing T's on Tharg's belt, but I've never noticed it before. It looks pretty silly on the cover, uh, maybe because it's in colour, whereas in the black and white, it doesn't stand out so much. I think you know the the the, the closer you get to realism with all of these with all these uh, comic book character costumes, they sort of you know you you notice different stuff that then becomes like, huh, like that's just what we're going with, I guess. <laughs> It also feels slightly odd to put Tracer like on the front cover when nobody knows who who that is. He's um, unless yeah, they really he, think that design's cool. Eh? I absolutely agree. Yeah, Tracer's really prominently featured. He's in the upper right part of the corner, a character who no one knows who he is, and no one will know who they are. <laughs> basically, like I think I'll mention it later, but yeah, Tracer will have a very brief run in in the progs in like 1995 i want to say like like two progs maybe but otherwise no one knows who this dude is and never will know who they are you know yeah i gotta say when i saw daudamoto on the cover they did they posted a spread in 2000 ad and i had forgotten that this story was going to be in this one and i was like oh no (laughs) just when i think i'm out they pulled me back in you know yeah uh one of many uh uh, sort of preview stories that we've got in here. Although in yeah. the one that goes nowhere, I think. There's absolutely, yeah, no, that one doesn't. Um, like a lot of, and I will say generally, yeah, a, a, a big theme of this special especially is checking in with characters who, and then saying that their story will continue into in the 2080 Weekly, 
but often their stories will not continue until like 1995 if they continue at all like years away you know yeah Ah, oh, ridiculous. Um, and then, so on the inside, there is a uh, a table of contents and a brief nerve center by Tharg, basically explaining um, where some of these stories are from. You know that the the, the there was a, a, a planned Earthside Eight comic, and a couple of the guys in here are sort of pilots for that, basically. Yeah, and he, he calls out the 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 um, preview episode of Eight. So, oh, uh, of, of eight, Earthside 8 as an ash can. Is that a term that you'd heard before? I feel like I had, yeah, just sort of to be thrown. Yeah, that, that like in a um, in, in publishing, like ash cans, just things that are sort of not used, ready to be thrown out or whatever. Well, that's right. It just seems remarkably close to trash can, which he's not actually at this stage calling out that it's never going to happen. <laughs> I, I got to feel like that's one of those. I don't know, because... It feels British just because I know sometimes trash men are called ash men in, in British, as I recall, or in England, as I recall. But I don't know. I like that, though. I don't know. I'm a big fan of a, of, of a publishing euphemisms. You know, filing to the circular file is another top one, which is just to put it in the trash can. Very excellent. Okay, a little, a little bit behind the scenes. <laughs> totally. Picking it up. Um yeah, and also says that, and Dark also says that you should uh, write in if you'd like a, a copy, I guess, which I don't, I don't know how serious that is. <laughs> yeah, it, cl- it claims they have five to give away. But so presumably those five copies included the, the episode of Tracer and Candy that are in here, yeah? Yeah, I'd imagine, like, to the extent that they exist at all, I would imagine that, they, that they'd have this. They might have that. Um, there was that like man on fire, like um, Wagner and Ascaris story that we talked about in the sci-fi special this year, but the annual, one of these ones, um, that was also like this um, unused pilot. Um, and then I probably, I think uh, the, a story we'll see at the start of next year, uh, Dynocity by, by Pat Mills, uh, yeah, which I think is, was also an Earthside 8 cast off. I mean, I think we had this in it's like in the early 80s where there was a bunch of casts off from a uh, from the Shutter Dread Weekly that then sort of filtered their way around various specials and things. I think that's what uh, Hell Trekkers came from as well, I guess. But they they were really good though. Like cuz that, that gave us Janderson, that gave us bad company. Mhm. Yeah, 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 the bad company was was adapted into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's a difference between, you know, the fact that you've got a bunch like that would have been an all Wagner Grant joint, right? <laughs> like all these top writers and then a couple of their artists coming in too to make this like th- this dread thing. Whereas I feel like Earthside Eight was much like at least partially canceled because it was a- I guess it was supposed to be for a younger audience, but everyone was too cool for it. That was my understanding from Throw Power Overload. Although again, many of these stories actually quite violent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can talk about it later because like yeah. you compare that to the. Uh- Regime progs today for a younger audience. Like this, just doesn't feel right. Absolutely, like, yeah. But let's get let's get into these thrills. I'm tired of not talking about. It. Let's talk about it with <laughs> Thrill One Judge Dread. Uh, starting off, script robot. Um, script robot. We've got Alan McKenzie as Sun- as Sunny Steelgrave, Art Robot Paul Marshall and Don D. Cox, and Letter Robot Annie Parkhouse. Um, Always excited for Sunny Steelgrave. Yeah. Oh man, we're going to be seeing a bunch of them as um, he as uh, Mackenzie takes over as editor at that as majority writer for 2000 AD and 94. Um, yeah, this is I believe the first the first time we're seeing Mackenzie writing for Dread, though he'll do more in the coming year. 
And of course, also an early lettering effort for Dread by Annie Parkhouse, who, you know, eventually becomes the main Dread letterer. So there's a suspected custody in the Grand Hall of Justice. Lie detectors don't work on him. Psy division can't enter his mind. He's Malachi Sable, founder of the cult, the Blades of the New Church, and he looks very sinister. They've got to get some some information out of him or they cut him loose because he's been in holding for a week, I guess. So the judges have called in an expert on some old-fashioned interrogation, and you know it's Judge Dredd. Yeah, there's uh, there's some fantastic art in this, um, particularly the second page where you've just got a, a massive Dredd walking into the interrogation chamber. Absolutely, yeah, big, big close-up of Dredd here, yeah. Yeah, Dredd, grim uh, image there. Yeah. Um, so Sable shirtless and happy to see Dread as the lawman walks in. Um, Dread reveals that Sable's old identity is Bilbo Snooing. I, he knows who you were. And that uh, his church has apparently been linked to a massacre at the Sun Young uh, Swaggart Block, which is a mi- mashup of uh, Sun Young Moon from the People's Temple and televangelist Jimmy Swaggart. But Sable says he's not connected, and there doesn't seem to be a way that, to prove that he is. That's why Dredd's here. <laughs> he even offers Dredd a personality test, Scientology style, and says, We all carry the seeds of enlightenment. But Dredd isn't impressed by any of this, of course. Um, instead, he goes to check his computer, but it's crashed, and his comlink isn't working, and the door is jammed. Oh, it's all part of a big plan. He got arrested so he could you know, put in jail so we could um, put in his evil plan to kill Dredd. He skyfalled him. Oh, no. (laughs) And he's done this using these otakus. Is that something we've seen before? No, no, no. This is a new term for sure. Yeah, quite a thing to just bring into one panel then. Yeah, just randomly. Yeah, he's trained a bunch of uh, cybernetic computer beings, otakus, of course, the Japanese term for, um, you know, fan of uh, of nerdy and computer things and stuff like that. Um, and he but he and they've got these weird. Yeah, like sort of, I don't know, wrinkly like a baby kind of look to these guys. And but they've all hacked into the Justice Department information systems and have locked Dread in here and stuff like that. Oh, it's very scary. It feels like if you had that power, you might use it for something a little better than this. I mean, luckily, you know, um, they're helped by the fact that cultists lack some of that ambition, you know, so that his plan is to, or Sable's plan is that he and Dredd will be locked inside this this holding cell, which is apparently airtight so that they will both suffocate to death and become martyrs for his for his cause. Right. Do we, do we go into why this cell is airtight and what, what that even means? So when the door shut, there was no air coming in or they've shut the filters down? I mean, uh, yeah, I guess in theory there might be, yeah, like they, they could make it airtight just to like sweat a, a perp or something like that. So they've turned them off willfully. I don't know, but it doesn't make a ton of sense, honestly. Like, why no. would you? Why would you make them? Why would? The, why would the fail state be that they're airtight? Like, you turn them off and <laughs> you, you cut them off from electricity, and it's airtight. You know. Anyway, hours later, they're both getting low on air as Sable says, "The whole sit, the whole Mega City One system's corrupt and dying, man." And then he turns into Judge Death, and Dread realizes he's a psyker. 
Oh, he's been using his mental powers to block Psydiv and create false negatives on the lie detectors and stuff. Dread, however. Oh, good. I, that, it's not it's not something I understood when I first read it or the second time around as to the the mix of the the tech going on and the the psycho piece. So is this it, so is Dread hallucinating the judge death or is that because he's using his side talents? I think he's using his side talents here. Yeah, I think like he's just it, showing off because he thinks they're both they're all about to die, I guess. And then Dread puts it together. Oh, I like that Dredd isn't concerned because even though there's all this stuff happening, he just reaches out and grabs this guy's face and, like, keeps his questioning going on. But then there's a massive platoon and Hershey's bur- blasted through the door. All right. It seems that all of Sable's machinations have been revealed and the tech stuff's getting sorted out. And Sable's been dragged away, apparently now being able to be arrested. Um... And, you know, it's a whole thing. Dredd is not impressed by his by his feelings. And Magruder asked what happened, what he said in there. And Dredd's like, nothing to worry about. Nothing at all. Yeah, and that, that ending sort of sum, sums up the story for me and, and, and I think led to me, certainly first time, not what, what, what was going on in there is basically what Magruder says. And Dredd says, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Like, don't even yeah. bother trying to read that one and wear that out. I mean, like I, I, enjoy, I like a self-contained story in, in in these specials. You know, like I feel like that's an important thing. That's just sort of it's a good chance for maybe some some action or some day in the life stuff for Judge Dredd. But not a lot actually happens in this one. You know, he just kind of it's just one guy rants and is then arrested essentially. Yeah, I really felt like I'd missed something. Um, and yeah, the, but I don't think I did miss something. I just no. think that there's, there's not much happens. I, the, yeah. the, the art good. Paul Marshall's great. Um, I feel like, you know, he, he's he's often underserved by the stories he, he, he ends up drawing mm-hmm. um, 2000 AD. I mean, he's had some classics, but uh, often he's a great artist looking for a great story. Yeah, and he really just, he's, he's definitely got, j- just got some great, like, you know, he he's drawn like like five or no, like ten really amazing just dread faces in the course of this one and ver- various levels of perturbedness that I think is what you kind of like that. That's really just this story. It's just a story of, of just dread being tough and overcoming, basically. Yeah. And hey, I guess on the topic of uh, of lawmen being tough and overcoming, right? <laughs> Let's. Nice. Move on to Thrill 2 Canned Heat. And this is for children, yeah? I guess so. I mean, that's what they say. But all of the all of the Earthside 8 stuff I've seen feature people, at least one person getting shot in the head in each one. Like, for real, you know? Um, but yeah, this one's called uh, yeah, Canned Heat. Script robot John Wagner. Art robot Colin McNeil. Letting robot Annie Parkhouse. You know this boogie is for real. And... What a grand set of creators for this canceled comic, Wagner and McNeil, the Song of the Surfer team for this ridiculousness. Yeah, it, I, I can't. I, what I can't work out is whether this was really intended to be an ongoing series, because like, as a, if you read it as a one-off, almost as a comedy one-off, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But like, I just cannot believe it could have gone on any more, any one more page, even. <laughs> It's. I mean, it, it's. It's definitely amazing. Just like as a parody of this kind of like 
ultra violent cop on the edge kind of stuff, you know, like 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 as a parody of of of, of dread and dread inspired things. It's really amazing, actually. Yeah, well, it's almost like RoboCop ripped off Dread. Let's rip off RoboCop. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, in. Future Los Angeles police officer Rocky Schwarzenberger and his nerd partner Howard DeWitt are called out to a uh, shooting in progress, but they fly right into a gang bush. Oh, the worst kind of bush. Their hover car is shot down by a rocket launcher. Rocky pilots it um, to a flame um, as it catches on fire to safety. They co- and the 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 perps joke that they call cops the heat because they burn so well. But listen, Rocky's just burning mad <laughs> as he pulls out a giant gun and starts blowing away these guys as he's on fire. No time to stop, drop, and roll. Even worse, he gets covered in caustic acid as well. Oh, geez, terrible day. Burning, covered in acid, shooting these dudes. In the end, the day is saved. Um, <laughs> but his partner sprained his ankle. Oh, no. Be careful, buddy. It's really heavy metal dread. Like, those those panels of him getting shot to bits when he's on fire. Like, it, it's very heavy metal dread. Absolutely. You see his, like, his, like, <laughs> his, like, flesh burning away and melting off and stuff like that. Really great. I love just that he's, like collapsing and being taken away as his partner is like oh it's real tender this ankle of mine if i put weight on it it hurts quite a bit <laughs> if you look at the image where like where he's they're talking about this sprained ankle he's also got a sword like in his back um schwarzenberger like yeah. where, like they're having a gunfight i don't know where that comes from it just sort of you know he's, there's just a lot going on you know yeah, yeah. it's not uh, he's, just look at his legs it's crazy just killed all of the killed all the hell. Yeah, sword right through him. All this stuff. It's terrible. In the end, Rocky is reduced to a brain, a simple brain in a jar. Oh, his wife Alice and his son Ricky are inconsolable. But don't worry, says the LAPD, because they're gonna RoboCop Rocky right into a. New- oh, sorry, they're gonna CyboCop him into a new body, which is a completely new idea. Do not steal. You got nothing on us. Anyway, he's. He's a robot police officer, aw geez, and his family's very surprised, and I can't wait to see what exciting adventures and family struggles he's got in store for him. Never! I, yeah, I just don't see how that design could have could have gone into another story. It's it's funny at the end of you know, at the end of the one-off that you've got this absolutely ridiculous Robocop parody that looks like that with that enormously wide head. Yeah. Um, but, but like, he, can you he's really got a big, like, surfboard coming out? He's, he's got a camera face and a big surfboard coming out of it. Basically, it's amazing. And he's given that thumbs up. Uh, like, it's great and it's funny. I just can't imagine the ongoing adventures of of uh, like of, of that thing. Yeah, of the of the Schwarzenberger droid taking <laughs> violence to because 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 you can see. I mean, you can see the setup. I guess that there's this city full of crime, and he's got like a nerd partner that's always getting minor injuries that people worry about, and then he's got a you know he's got domestic problems with with his wife and his son and all this kind of stuff. It exists as a possibility, but also like. Honestly, this is just, again, just like I think we've said, a pretty funny send up of like 
these immortal super cop characters that we're seeing increasingly in 2000 AD, like even of like of Maniac Five, which we'll see later in this story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think they get frustrated just writing Schwarzenberg all the time. Oh my! Listen, I I wrote it for my recap, and I got pretty angry. I gotta say, too long. That's why uh, that's why they call him Arnie. Come on. The whole the whole thing's worth having for the uh, the word balloon. It's it's no good screaming, Alice. He's just a brain in a glass tank now. <laughs> my favorite. I love a brain in a jar. Oh man, it's great. All right. But listen, so that's a that's a that's a, a canceled story from a canceled prog. Now a, a thrill that's not quite canceled, but just seems to live in live on mostly in these specials like a ghost that's haunting us or I guess a zombie that's haunting us. It's thrill three brigand doom. Yeah, at this point, how long has it been since Brigand Doom's been in the prog? It's been a little I think, while, eh? Yeah, we had a touch of it, God, I want to say right at the start of 93. But it's been a while since it's been a while since we've seen it. We won't get it again until summer of, of 94. And there's definitely more Brigand Doom in specials than there are sort of stories in, in the in the progs generally. Uh script yeah. about Ellen McKenzie, art robot Dave DeAntiki, letter about Annie Parkhouse. Yeah, so it's, it's special. One- oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's it, Big and Doom's one I remember as being what felt like a really good concept that never quite took off as a story. Like the idea was great. The first, I remember really liking the first story and being quite excited about it, and then it just it just never really went anywhere from there. Very much. That's very much what 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 my feeling is about it too. Um, I love that first one. This sort of dystopian cyberpunk suit, or yeah, or yeah, like I don't know, bureaucracy punk or something, but sort of you know dark future superhero fighting against it, but you don't really know if you can trust him or not. And all that kind of stuff seemed very cool. But then they brought in the zombies and the voodoo stuff. That's kind of, I don't know. And especially the third story also had this seance stuff going on as well. And it's like, I don't know if this, I feel like you've got enough of a setting without adding in the supernatural for sure. Like, honestly, this one is more what I'm looking for, I guess. Because <laughs> we, we start with... Uh, uh, Inspector Nine chilling on the floor of her apartment in her underwear with a glass of wine. When the phone rings, it's Section Supervisor One, and he wants a full dossier on Brigand Doom. And she's not to wear such sexy attire ever again. Shakes my fist. Um, Nine's yeah. staring right at it while telling her not to wear it. Though in that in that panel, it's it's pretty it's 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 gratuitous on all sides it's for gratuitous. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nine does her write-up, recapping the adventures of Doom and diagnoses him as a self-righteous, self-proclaimed champion of the people. Because, um, And we learn that the finally the, these chemical enhancers he has gives him like strength, but also hallucinations and an indiv- individualistic streak. In the city, though, outside, we see Doom ambush Supervisor One popping open his briefcase to reveal that it's full of cash. Nine um, in voiceover spends a lot of time admitting that Doom has actually ended a lot of corruption um, and some cops show up. One, six, the cops on Doom, but he just shotguns them both in the face, accuses Supervisor One of stealing money from the poor as part of a scheme with the Department of Accommodation. And thus Doom pulls out a robe, a rope, I should say, and hangs Supervisor One right there in the street as Nine continues, that ah, Doom's basically right, but his, his, I can't say I approve of your methods, Mr. Brigand Doom, is basically her, 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 her point. 
And then we finish the story in classic Brigand Doom fashion with a bunch of regular folks picking up money scattered on the streets and rejoicing under the dangling feet of the murdered supervisor. They're really, really enjoying that lynching, aren't they? <laughs> Good hands, times, I guess. Hands in the yeah. air. Hands in the air. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, Brigand Doom will return in July of 1994. Like, is that a, like that? The text at the bottom is that a joke? Like, Brigand Doom returns in a major investigation of municipal corruption. Is that supposed to be an exciting lead-in? <laughs> it's. <laughs> I, must I, mean, be a I, joke, yeah? I guess it's factual, but yeah, like that's. I <laughs> that's got to be a joke of just like. <laughs> What's the silliest way that we can uh, advertise this uh, character? Yeah. Oh, I love those major investigations of municipal corruption. It's what I read my 2008 for. Absolutely. I'm trying to, uh, what you call it, <laughs> bust, bust these spending limits and so forth. Yeah, All right. it, is just, yeah. it is just a recap, isn't it? Here's what's happened before. Absolutely. Yeah, very much just um, like here to once again bring Brigand Doom back into your mind and kind of establish the setting a little bit. And I guess on the topic of um, stories that we haven't seen in the progs in a little bit, we could continue on to Thrill 4, Dow Demoto. Goody, goody. Yeah, all right. Script robot Tim Ball and art robot Tim Ball and letting robot Annie Parkhouse, I guess... It seems like, you know, we've just seen, or I've just, on the podcast, we've seen Tim Ballin come in for uh, for Time House, I believe. And this feels like it might have been an attempt to give him something to do or a tryout or something. It's very weird because I associate Dow Demoto with uh, Myra Hancock, that, 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 that writer. And so to give it to someone else seems weird, I guess. But anyway, whatever happened to Dow Demoto? It's not a question I've been asking, but one that will have an answer to, I suppose. It, it also doesn't have a question mark. Oh, it's true. I guess it's just a statement. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Like, or, or, Whatever. or a threat, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> in the 44th century, at a bar at a space station, that rockabilly lady Lula walks in and finds the place really empty. She complains to her staff, and they suggest she just go back to Earth and see Dow and reminisce about the time that she danced at the bar in the course of Dow Demoto, and she wonders how Dow Demoto is doing with the baby. Um, meanwhile, I mean, at this stage, you, you would, I wouldn't have known that that wasn't Dow uh, when Lula comes in, except for the fact that they, they, uh, they name her because they look very similar, listen, different I eyebrows, was, basically. I can't stress enough that I was so grateful that they said her character's name in the course of this comic. I, yeah. I needed it. Um, anyway, back on Earth, Dow wonders what Lula's up to as she looks out on the Vengkok uh, skyline. She checks on her son, who's some sort of purple baby guy. She looks for a pen to write Lula. He's not actually purple, is he? I don't know. He's got, I think his hair, is, is his hair purple? I feel his like hair, His hair is purple, that's fair. He's got kind of yeah. a, like, like a lilac hairdo and a, uh, and, and then a regular purple onesie, I guess. These babies, you know, ba who knows for baby fashion, it's the future. Uh, she goes to write Lula and returns and finds the kid at the keyboard of her computer. She and the baby then call her husband Sopalco, says everything's going fine. But when they ring off, Sopalco wonders if Dow realizes how fast their baby is developed. And he calls those weird aliens 
from the from the original story and says everything's going everything's going as planned but then he hangs up and the aliens think that they've got something even greater in store for him everything's going as planned for them as well wheels within wheels to be continued in the adventures of Daudamoto, the end forever of Daudamoto. <laughs> maybe maybe they're just waiting yeah till the kids growing up and it's coming back soon Oh my God! Listen, yeah, you could definitely. I mean, I guess the kid, yeah, mid thirties uh, or <laughs> early thirties, Daudamoto baby. I mean, they brought Revere back. I guess it could happen, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a legacy sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Daudamoto Maverick or whatever. <laughs> I mean, did, did they did they think this was going to go? somewhere and then there was a poor reaction to it which would be understandable or was did they already know it was going nowhere like like the earth side eight of it i mean it's just weird to have it in here and then it it's hard to tell happened. i mean it def this really feels like it's like actually and and this is sort of a point i want to make for our next thrill actually this one like as we're entering it like as we're entering into 94 it's right when alan mccann we're right at alan mckenzie about to be taken the reins as editor and I could definitely see him having some ideas of like, oh, here are some stories that are from the past that I liked. And maybe we can give them, you know, I can put up some trial balloons and see what's going on. Although I could also see this Daudamoto actually being another ash can, but one of these ones that is actually like a tryout, like this uh, Tim Bollard guy, like, hey, here's a, you know, he's just, he's recently started in 2000 AD. And I could definitely imagine them being like, all right, we you know for a tryout, give us a story. Um, you know, uh, whatever happened to Daudamoto? You know, figure something out with that as a writer artist. You know, did, did he just did he just do the art for Time House? Yes, I, I uh, yeah. uh, Hogan Peter Hogan did the writing for Time House. That's right. Yeah, I didn't like that. I remember not liking that. Um, then you're but, you're you're gonna love our coverage of it then for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Some real, like I. Everyone will will have heard it by the time this episode comes out. But yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of reviews ended with me saying, "I hate Timehouse." You know? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's my memory of it too. Not, not great, you know the these Timehouses. Um, anyway, I guess we can continue on to some more traditional type stories with Thrill Five Tharg the Mighty. Speaking uh, of uh, yeah, editorial third? decisions. The third Alan McKenzie story in this, in this, uh, let's assume, because it's the mighty one. So let's assume that's Alan McKenzie and he did Brigand Doom and he did Judge Dredd. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I guess start as you mean to be going on, on with again for sort <laughs> of M McKenzie with these, um, you know, w with writing this stuff. But yeah, this one definitely feels like it's by him. Script robot Tharg, like you said, probably Alan McKenzie, art robot Eric Bradbury, letting robot Tom Frame. Again, just another one of these Eric Bradbury, Tharg the Mighties. Um, basically, just a chance to kind of. I feel like, I feel like the editorial team like the, likes these because the, it's all caricatures of people who are on staff and stuff like that, you know. And that that is the sole purpose of it, yeah, to amuse the editorial team. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I I I think I don't I don't know anybody else really interested in like checking in with with the Tomlinson droid or something like that. But they're sort of in here, have a lot of jokes for the Igroid or whatever. Keep keep Eric Bradbury in in stories and these you know he's been doing this for the past few specials hasn't he? Yeah, he's been he's done quite a bunch of these of uh, of Tharg stories specifically in these in these specials and uh, you know 
as much as it's just getting Eric Bradbury a, a paycheck, I'm fine with it because he's an old master of, of British comics, you know. Agreed. It's just such a waste of talent. Absolutely. I, I would like him to be doing more. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this story is called Tharg the Mighty and Death Kill 2, The Dogs of Blood. Don't worry about that one too much. In the velveteen void of space, Tharg welcomes us and tells us this story where in the nerve or of the nerve center, of course, we see Otto Tom, the John Tomlinson bot needing a wagon wheel unwrapped. But Bert, the Richard Burton uh, droid is too busy watching Sonic cartoons. And of course, there's some foreshadowing as he's about to leave 2000 AD to go edit the UK Sonic comic and stuff. Meanwhile, Mac 2, the Alan McKenzie droid, is too busy staring out the window. And just everybody in the office is very sleepy and lazy and stuff until Tharg comes in and yells at them all to wake up. You know, they've got a big guest coming. Things have to change around here. The next day, at snowy Falscar Crag, everyone's forced to carry another droid up the side of a mountain to get their, some of their blood pumping. And oh no, Igroid, the Igor Goldkind droid, has to carry Mechquake. That, anyway. that's, that's the joke, yeah. That, 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 I like that bit. That's fine, yeah. Just, I, I appreciate re- remembering that Mechquake is, fesh, is officially on staff in the 2080 uh, offices, you know. You t- tie, tie that to Nemesis, and, uh, and it all gets very confusing. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, you know, they're, they're just actors who then appear in the story or something like that. It's got okay, a very yeah. uh, uh, Muppet Show kind of feel yeah. to it, I suppose. Um, <laughs> eventually, the joy, or, um, oh, and they got to wear sandpaper underwear. Soon everyone's exhausted, and they're, but they're on to their next challenge, swimming in a frozen lake. Eventually, though, the droids have had enough and have Mechwake bury Tharg in snow. The Mighty One, however, explains he wants everyone to look good and busy for when their guest star arrives at the offices tomorrow. And when he does, oh, it's Sylvester Stallone! Luckily, though, um, he's had a dread helmet glued to his head, so he can't see all the droids shamefully sleeping off their exhaustion. But Which suggests you can't see through a dread helmet, yeah? Which would yeah. make the helmet pretty useless. I mean, it's got a, I will say, your traditional dread helmet because it's got sort of the cheekbone elements and the cross in the middle does have a limited field of view. And I think when it's glued onto your head, it also makes it difficult to sort of move it around to get a look at things and stuff. Dread's ability to see through is part of what makes him such a good lawman, you know? (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. It's a lot of words to get to that joke at the end. Absolutely. And although also weirdly foreshadowing, of course, Stallone's um, unwillingness to wear the helmet all the time in the coming movie, a concern even from before filming has uh, has begun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I guess it is kind of fun to see the to see the uh, the production droids just stop. I've gotten to know them, I feel like, over the years, I guess. Uh, but, no way. No, no. Had had well enough of this. It is, but it is also, yeah, indeed, extremely self indulgent for sure. Just ah, uh, yes, yeah, a joke for the lads, lads, at the home office. You know? <laughs> anyway, yeah, keep it to themselves. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it out in your corporate newsletter, guys. Come on, Put, it was distributed at the all hands or whatever. I don't need this. <laughs> but speaking of modern corporate governance. <laughs> We can go on to Thrill Six Tracer. Script robot Dave Stone, art robot Paul Pert, lettering robot Tom Frame. Another episode uh, uh, story from Earthside Eight, apparently, and I can't confirm or deny its relation to Skip Tracers. Thirty years in the future. 
yeah, that's 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 fair. And is that because the, the word tracer is is bounty hunter based? Yeah, and skip tracer some sort of bounty hunter. Yes, I, I I believe so. I don't think they're actually related, but I would like to pretend that they're related because I don't know. I think that's funny. Um, and people yeah, are so skip, angry about skip, skip Tracer. Yeah, Skip Tracer's not a favorite of mine. That goes back to the uh, the Paul Marshall maybe not getting the stories he deserves uh, mm. of it. Ooh, ooh, yeah, connected. Whoa, all right. It's a web of events. Um, so it's Tokyo, twenty forty five, the actual distant future for once. Um, a hundred years since the end of World War Two, the the Nipponese, as we're calling them here, lost the war but won the peace. Um, there's mega tech corporations that own the world. Everything's very cyberpunk, all that kind of stuff. Um, enter Eddie Cassavetes, retrieval specialist. He's yeah, just in a city full of you know billboards and bright colors on a sweet motorcycle and stuff. And this time he's Okay. He, he feels very over-designed. Like, you get very fed up drawing all that detail all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's got a, yeah, like a, a striped bandana and a vest and gloves and belt buckles and all this different stuff. Yeah, he's got a lot, a lot of kit, a lot of, like, complicated costuming. You're right. E- even during this story, it gets simplified very quickly to a red, <laughs> a red top and a yellow jacket. <laughs> Yeah, his uh, he's got a gun with Japanese written on it, like a taser, I guess. Um, this time he's going to break into some guy's house to do some repossession with the help of his CompU wristwatch, as you do. Um, but it seems that apparently the stuff he's repossessing is gear for Izanami, which is ritual death combat. And this guy's the famous one razor kill ten men moto. Oh, he's real tough. And we learned that Eddie can't carry a gun, so instead he does a bunch of flips and stuff and jumps around and manages to get Moto to stab himself in the back with his own cyber blades. He's got kind of like praying mantis arms that are coming out of his belly and he stabs himself with them. And this and, is again for the kids kids comic, yeah? Absolutely, especially when he then kicks him right into a junction box and electrocutes him. Good times. <laughs> Eddie then delivers the gear um, to a uh, tech corporation with the help of his friend Susie who drives a dump truck who drives a, a dump truck and once he gets paid he reveals that oh the he's all fried and there's a big smoking corpse in the back of the dump truck oh no <laughs> not my problem says Eddie and he and Susie drive off into the night the end of Tracer yeah all right um <laughs> I, this is one that, I, mean, I can't okay. believe you're saying it does come back because, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember it coming back and and would be happy never to read it again. I think it's a very, um, very briefly, I believe it's like two progs in 1995, basically. Yeah, nine, 948, 949, you know. just Are they, are they the same, uh, same team? Is it Dave Stone still? Yeah, yeah, it's still Dave Stone and Paul Pert doing the uh, doing it. So maybe they, maybe it's actually one of these ones where they just had a couple issues of it, like completed before they canceled Earth Side Eight, so just sort of you know saved them for a rainy day when they needed to sp- fill space or something like that. Yeah, I mean Dave, Dave Stone obviously did really good Armitage. Um, Absolutely, but yeah, not not much else, if anything else. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, I I will say this one feels very like the one thing I'll say about Tracer is that it feels very 1993, actually, like the future of 1993, basically. 
if just because like it's got this sort of cyberpunk anti-Japanese sentiment kind of thing going on, which is, which is very much of of the time then, you know. Um, and yeah, we've had we've had a bit of that in Judge Dredd as well, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, yeah, pops up in Judge Dredd. It, po- I mean, it, it pops up quite a bit. If just because, I mean, again, like if you're sort even in like regular cyberpunk, like William Gibson or something like that, you get a sense of this. I always or the uh, the Michael Crichton novel Rising Sun, for instance. Very, you know, a, a, a standard thing. Low calorie bad guys, the Japanese in the early nineties, yeah, yeah. as, as sort of these, you know businessmen who are different who are very different and, and, and should be feared that kind of thing anyway let's continue on to more ta- to uh more uh comp or i don't know bah there speaking of uh of us types of stories that have continued on into the future <laughs> unlike tracer it's 307 future shocks uh script robot peter hogan art robot john howard letting robot alita fell is is Alita Fell different to Ellie Deville? Yes. They, yeah, I, really? I've always just thought it was a different way of saying that, like a sort of semi pseudonym. It's a it's a fair point because they are very similar and they are both sort of these letterers. But I believe, yeah, I, I believe they are different. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, but again, hard to tell. I like the conspiracy theory, though. Actually, That's <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 go with it. Absolutely. Uh, this story is called Brighter Later, and it's a, a black and white future shock. It actually very much feels like a throwback. Like, I thought this might have been a reprint, actually, but yeah, I believe it's, not, it's new. It? No, yeah, no, yeah, it's not. This is new, but it does have kind of the, like, like it, it, it starts with two, guy, with two technical guys walking down a hallway and stuff and got a very, like, this could be like an Alan Moore future shock or something from the, or something from the 80s, I want to say, just yeah. in, in, in its tone. Um it's got, um, well, it's got an 80s yeah. art style as well, hasn't it? The uh, uh, Yeah. Just this kind of flat look, again, the black and white, and like how these very, very sort of corporate looking, like British, like scientist guys. On the Explorer ship Columbus 4, two men look at a view screen. They see uh, lights appearing on the coast of an alien planet. It could be marsh gas, but this one doctor guy convinces the other man to take a scout craft down. They fly around, identifying the lights as fires built by an alien civilization. They go low, worried that if they're seen, they'll have to, like, pretend to be gods of this <laughs> alien race for a little while just to sort of not, just to maintain the prime directive, basically. There's rain pouring down as we see aliens farming and living their lives. But, oh, this, is a, this might have been a bad day to visit as they look over and see aliens boarding an ark two by two, an alien Noah's Ark. Oh no! The end. There's a lot, a lot of detailed art that's gone into that that joke at the end. Absolutely, it's a great final image. That just this full page of all these alien animals walking into this ark with a pretty with, with a very Charlton Heston as Moses like gray alien leading them on with like the shepherd's crook and stuff like that like it, it's fun like that actually and this image of the alien sort of plowing fields and stuff are 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 pretty fun just as these you know l- looking in on these aliens doing stuff yeah i like the gray alien with the beard as well you don't often see a gray with a beard mm-hmm. no no mustaches in the, among no the that's aliens, true yeah just just the beard yeah <laughs> It's fun enough, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It, it goes by quickly. 
Absolutely, yeah. Standard sort of future shock action here. But I guess things more in-depth, more mysterious goings-on of the Sixth Sense variety. We go to Thrill 8, Janice Side Division. Janice had appeared in in Inferno and that nothing else at this stage, is that right? I believe so. I th- wait, wait, wait. No, I, I, I believe she'd appeared in some stories in, um, in at least one story in the magazine now at, at, okay. at this point as well. Right. Or maybe not actually. I don't know. Weird. Yeah, I guess not. Well, I don't know. There you go. But definitely hasn't, hasn't appeared very often, I think. Um, so a uh, script about Grant Morrison, art about Carlos Escara, letting her about Tom Frame, a big cat, a, a big creative team for this special story, actually, which is very nice. Um, yeah, Inferno follow up here with team and characters, a bunch of mega citizens do a seance. The leader's obviously scamming like, oh, yes, I can I can sense your um, uncle Eric. Oh, I, I've got an uncle Brian. Oh, yes, your uncle Brian. That's him. I, I feel him talking to us. <laughs> When suddenly, a witch made of green ectoplasm erupts from her mouth and says ominously, build, let me build with you. I love the design of the witch to have like tombstones, like whether that's on its back or in its trace. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, just growing out of it. Yeah, sort of a standard witch, like big nose and hat and then... Yeah, ominous city growing out of, or, or a city of tombstones growing out of its back for sure. Uh, later, side judges Janice and Reynolds. Janice, of course, bald. Reynolds with a giant uh, mop of orange hair. Um, Reynolds' invest- hair is confusing. It's, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a bizarre sight. He's sort of this, this uh, dark skinned guy and got big Ronald McDonald stuff going on. Um, t- um, as we, they're investigating psychically as we see Judge Tex like scraping stuff off the walls, which is ominous. Um, 12 hours later, you can still hear the psychic scream and they theorize that it must have been some kind of non-physical entity that did this attack. They report it to Rorich at uh, Psy Control and are told to keep investigating. Rorich, uh, you go straight into the um, psychic... Uh transfer talking to each other through their minds with no punctuation uh it's not quite the john smith squish all the words together but it makes it uh, an interesting read absolutely yeah uh, uh, that's a good point actually yeah there is no punctuation in their psychic talking and i guess that makes sense when you get sort of later in the story and we see some more crazy psychic stuff going on as well yeah um Rorich, like they sort of, they mentioned that that Rorich uh, is sounding faint and he says he must have picked up some kind of bug or something. He's feeling down. Then the judges have to check out a psychic disturbance at the Dreamadrome on Geisen Block. And here's where I tell you that uh, that's named after Brian Geisen, who is a surrealist artist and created a device called the Dream Machine, which was an art installation designed to be viewed when you had your eyes closed. Um, which is again surrealism. That's how it goes. The only man Williams Burrow, the only man William Burrow has ever respected, apparently. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you a word for that. <laughs> anyway, Rorich uh, Ro- uh, Ro- yeah. is, is saying he's got there's some sort of bug during the rounds that's always going to come back. That's like coughing at the start of a film, isn't it? Yeah, it's very he, much, yeah. much. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I definitely was like, oh, okay, well, I feel like we've. You know, this is like, put a pin in that. Like, that's a big sign, you know. 
Um, so the two judges arrive and find the, the witch still trying to build. Bullets, of course, do nothing, and it hits the judge with an energy bolt and then disappears into a Mobius gate. But Janice follows it through. There she finds herself in a hazy dreamscape of a... Of, of a warped teal row houses and a ground made of pink smoke and human bones all over the ground. She follows the after- reminiscent of, uh, of Anderson in The Possessed um, when she goes into that, that the world following that kid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it, it, uh, again, yeah, it's sort of. Actually, I feel like several David Roach, like uh, Anderson Dreamscapes, I guess. Yeah, right? fair. <laughs> of these, you know, these- Sort of, I I feel like they're more, yeah, sort of a a classic English city maybe that has been sort of warped and made and and made scary looking, and um, you know of course bones littering the ground and all that stuff. She follows after the witch and her thoughts. You know she, she she's sort of narrating what she sees in the uh, like like you said in these big punctuationless word bubbles, but. As you read them, you realize like they start making less and less sense sort of as, as, as you go through them, I think. But that is her communicating back to base, yeah? That she's not just word ballooning for us, is she? I don't know, because we, like, no one responds to her, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So um, it, it, it kind of feels like she's word balloon polluting or she's thought polluting to us but also the intru- there's intrusive thoughts of the of the of the space that she's in i guess yeah um anyway eventually though she follows the witch through a tunnel and pops out back into reality in some sort of black room in a red doorway with rorich holding a gun on her Things look bad, but Janice side blasts the gun away and arrests him, and the day is saved pretty much. Later, Janice and Reynolds debrief with side chief Schenker. Rorge and Case in a green bubble as side judges are sort of checking out his brains and stuff. It seems a strange impulse was planted within his mind, causing him to subconsciously manifest this will-o'-the-wisp witch monster, which asks the question, could other judges also be so implanted? Could this spell disaster for Mega City 1? We'll find out in a 2000 AD in the year 1994, I guess. It's, or not, uh, be- it, yeah, because Janice doesn't sh- actually show up there until uh, August of 95. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, there's a storm coming ending, but like we're about to have with Maniac 5 as well, isn't it? I mean, all of the, yeah, definitely of like just ooh, there's something happening i mean i feel like the the sci-fi special is actually very like this too where it had just a bunch of um which had either a bunch of teasers or like cappers for stories you know sort of oh there's something crazy coming to luke kirby watch out for tyranny rex all this different stuff the the, the, just i never quite been able to join the dots like because i really like this in many ways but it doesn't quite work perfectly for me like what what's the witch got to do with anything like why is he manifested a witch like there was some repressed desire what a witchy desire i don't yeah well they said it was a a repressed desire but that it wasn't actually a desire of his own it was implanted in his mind by some fell reason and so it's sort of like well other people could have these implants in there too like what does that mean it's all very mysterious the, the other thing that, that that makes it more of a struggle is uh, like Janice as a character, and there's a lot to like about Janice. But the uh, 
the really and holy and and those sort of words that she's been given to speak because she's young uh yeah are, are quite difficult to to read i think they were bad at the time and they're, they're potentially even worse now yeah they're i mean i feel like that's the ge- your general pro or one what the general problem is with janice is sort of like she's a tough side judge but she's also like an airhead teen or something like that like the yeah. two don't cro- like there's a desire I know to make the side judges more quirky in comparison to regular judges, but this one feels quirky in a way that doesn't really make sense for the character of the judges as we know the Mega City One, I guess. But it's fantastic art all the way through, as you'd expect. Particularly drawn like at the top left of the final page, looks like it's a fully painted uh, Hall of Justice or, or like there. It's it's very Absolutely. different from everything else, isn't it? Yeah, just a really nice sunset on the uh, on on the grand hall there with with the domes and the giant eagle and stuff like that. Absolutely, love a good love a good dread sunset. Actually, if you can do them right, they're they're, they're great. We just talked about um, Book of the Dead with art by uh, Dur- Dermot Power, which also has um, that kind of feel, a very sort of sci-fi sunset kind of thing. Yeah, but I guess speaking of things that feel out of place with what we know about the judges in Mega City One. <laughs> What what even is this? What what? Where did this come from? Uh, Norway. Thrill nine. Side vision. The uniform designs. Yeah, just a series of fashion designs by Hilda Marstander, who's a Norwegian fashion designer, artist, and journalist. Who I guess must be friends with somebody or something at this point. I don't know. Um, but the stories are presented as a sort of black of a, of a black museum research or something found in a disused sector house, and like let's just check them out or something. I, I like the idea that that this was real and that they had four designs, three of which are so ridiculous, and then the fourth one, which is exactly the same design you've already got but with a different badge. Right, exactly. And they were like, "Oh yeah, let's go with that one. That's <laughs> yeah, a good idea." And- Two are weirdly dragony as well. Like, why? Why is this? Why is it so dragon based? Yeah. So, it, for, in all, all right. fairness, it's classic consultant, isn't it? We've paid a consultant to come in and tell us to do the thing we already knew, but by presenting some ridiculous things, and we've probably paid quite a lot of money for that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So first, we've got one that's kind of a green one-piece bathing suit number with uh, knee-high boots. Sort of a dragony feel, like the 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 boots have like wings on them and some spikes, and the various just sort of like ribbed like scales or, or or lizard flesh kind of thing. Elbow pads with spikes on the end, you know. <laughs> Finally, a judge uniform that uh, that um, amplifies the the behind. Very important. You know? uh, it's the second one. The the detail on the second one of uh, sewing fins. They've noted like. Yeah. yeah okay. Second one. Yeah. yeah. Get your fins in there. Somehow even more dragony is the second one, which is full cover. And yeah, like you said, has a has a has a ribbed fins for both the shoulder pads and at the sort of elbows and uh, and uh, hips. And ve- like just very spikes on the shoes as well. Yeah, yeah, more more spikes coming off the toes. This one has a very um like he like female he man villain kind of feel to it, you know. Uh, yeah, mer, mer, mer lady. Exactly. Um, then the third one is red and yellow and more traditional sort of plastic shoulder armor kind of thing. 
Um, then, but like with the, the ribbing of the shoulder armor continuing down the legs and stuff, I could, this one actually does look like if it's like 1994 and you paid and you got some cults consultants to redesign a judge uniform for the 21st century, this would, this could be a design that I could see happening. Honestly, seems to have a, a grenade as a accoutrement. <laughs> of course. Gotta, you know, accoutre- I, listen, stealing my words here. Love it. <laughs> And then the final one is, of course, just the judge's uniform uh, with a side badge. Fine, let's do it. <laughs> Keep it simple. I, yeah, I, I will say what I do like is that while this badge is clearly dark blue, the color swatch is black, sort of creating, again, just the comics coloring. Um, like, you've just got to accept it, that yes, it's black, but it's mo- but it appears blue so that we can do shading for it, and it appears with it, and, and looks better on the comics page, you know? Yeah. Don't ask too many questions. Anyway, I, I will say one last thing that like, well, the, 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 the uniforms are not appropriate for Judge Dredd, 100%. But they do have kind of a Barbarella look that I do think is okay on their own, I guess. I could see if you want to tr- do some multiverse Dread stuff and like there were a couple ones where the dra- where there were dragons in, in charge of their world or something or, you know also dinosaurs are there <laughs> i could see them being decent uniforms that sounds uh, like a fun story like i do kind like i do have a friend who really likes dragons that i'm i want to send these to just because i think they would appreciate them but not really like they they just don't really it, except for the the red and yellow one most of them just don't really feel like they would ever be considered even for the justice department i don't know yeah, it just just can't can't get away from wondering what where this came from but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it very yeah. Just how they ended up with these pages to put in the special, I'm sure feel like a sto- feels like like it could be a story in itself. Honestly, yeah. Um, but I guess speaking of uh, difficulties with government overreach, <laughs> let's <laughs> finish up with Thrill Ten Maniac Five. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Richard Elson, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. All right. So Richard Elston rather than Steve Yarl on this one. Yeah, very much feels like who's to hand, I guess. It's a different look for Maniac 5, certainly. Although we actually barely see that robot on himself in the course of this one. Yeah, Richard Elston's fantastic though, isn't he? Absolutely. Always a big fan of like Kingdom and other things like that. We've seen a little bit of his stuff so far, but definitely... You know, we're 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 entering into the golden age of Richard Elson on on the podcast. I think it's sort of coming up, and I feel like actually more sort of like in the in the thousands. I guess that one. We'll yeah, really I think he goes over him. to do a lot on Sonic. I think he does loads on that Sonic mm. comic coming out soon. Wouldn't surprise me that Sonic comics, oh, man. I, I feel like. I've heard weirdly good things for a comic that's based on, on, on a video game. You know what I mean? My, my little brother read it and I used to nab it and read it off him and enjoy it. So, I mean, how, how true that, how, how good it really is, I can't say, but I remember enjoying it at the time. It's an interesting thing. I know there's a lot of, I feel like, of that sort of middle millennial era being real into like folks being real into sonic and stuff it's an interesting time i don't know worth a look perhaps worth a worth a a look in at some point here on space but when we're out of other things to do you know if you get to that point okay it's in the queue you know that's i'll 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 say that possibly far down but it doesn't matter anyway maniac five 
We're, we're in Washington, D.C. in the distant future, January 2006. Dr. E.M. Zero is a cool dude with his glasses and long hair and trench coat blowing in the wind and stuff. 90, 1993 cool dude. Here we go. Yeah, he's with the red, the red, red on the inside of his trench coat just Man. adds to the cold. Awesome. <laughs> he stands in front of the ruins of the White House, the streets of Washington, D.C., dark and empty. You can feel the mechanical eyes of Maniac 5 on him. He gets back into a car driven by a, bron- a blonde lady chauffeur, as you do, and reflects that he's been ordered by the president to build a machine that can hunt and kill Maniac 5. He didn't know what to do until an object from space landed in an Arkansas wheat field, an alien craft made of living organic metal. Meanwhile, at an army barracks um, in Maine, a female soldier wakes up another one saying that her tracker has just picked up Maniac 5 again. It's not fair that they're hunting him when she when he saved her life, so she's going to go help him. That, that page there has no connection to the rest of the, the story other than setting a bit up for the next story, yeah? like what, what, 100%. I mean, we saw, I believe, this lady, although, again, it's one of those ones where it's always a challenge when you go from one artist to another of just sort of what this blonde lady looks like, you know. In But I, I, I remember the original Maniac 5, him saving a bunch of kids and soldiers and stuff, so I think yeah. this is one of them. But yeah, this the, is very... Um, very much doesn't continue on a part of the plot is setting up for Maniac 6, I guess. That The antenna on her tracker, that's going to get snapped off. It's at uh, a right it's angle. So, so fragile. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an antenna that comes up, makes a right angle, and then there's a circle with a cross on, like a, uh, what do you call those? I don't know. Like a holy, like the holy hand grenade from Monty Python or whatever that, those things are, are, are actually called, you know, a bobble the king wears. is it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that thing's coming out for sure. Choking hazard also, frankly. <laughs> anyway, cut to July 2007. Even further in the future, we see a helicopter taking a covered box deep into a desert base in the side of a mountain. Dr. Zero has been given all the maniac files and he's been further expanding the program. Instead of hunting a monster, he's created a new one. It can exist as all forms of matter and is the strongest and toughest thing ever. We built this monster because we could, but no one ever thought to ask if we should. It's Maniac 6. They're so horrified, even before they've opened that box that presumably he's in. They're they're absolutely terrified. It it unwraps with a big, big expulsion of of, uh, smoke and stuff. And yeah, then something horrifying clearly happens. Like, it can't just be the sign. You knew it was Maniac 6 already, guys. It it says that. It says Maniac 6. You hired someone to paint that on the side of the box. Yeah. It didn't manifest itself, you know? This there's is a government uh, there's a government task force that designed that logo, you know. <laughs> this is um the year of Jurassic Park, isn't it? So the we, we built it because we could and never considered if we should is is straight out of Jurassic Park. Mary, listen, ripping off Jeff Goldblum, sad, you know. Un- <laughs> unfortunate, frankly. Um, anyway, as Maniac 6 is revealed, Maniac 5 awakens from a nightmare. He comforts his dog, Corky, and then looks out on the ruined skyline. He can feel it. Something evil is headed this way. Coming soon, Maniac 6. Not actually coming soon because it's in fall of 1995. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> oh, that's a long way. Uh, how does he get the dog? He, he must be 
carrying the dog up to the roof you know i mean most of where he goes he's carrying that dog yeah i mean presumably yeah he's jumping from rooftop to rooftop with his dog under the arm under his arm or something like that who you know but Does just, to, just instantly establish him as a good guy you know he's got a dog yeah Sorry, it's the practicalities i'm thinking of like because the dog needs real exercise not just being carried around so does he mm. at some point just go for a walk in the park with it I don't know. I feel like it's something something to do during the day, you know, walk your dog through the war zone of your own creation. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, I quite liked Maniac 5. Like, of the uh, summer offensive, it was the easiest to to get along with as a 13-year-old as I would have been. Um, I guess the next story is the end, isn't it? I don't remember how it ends, but... Yeah, one last last peek in in Maniac 5, yeah. It's just this era of where there'd be concepts that just never quite make it as, as ongoing stories. And this is another one where very much this. Yeah. Or it never, the story's never really there to begin with. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That that's this era of 2000 AD, just having a, having a, a concept of some sort of indestructible action hero, maybe have a story or two, but yeah, none of them. I, I, I don't feel like any of them really catch for the long term. I think. I mean, I don't think, I think anything does until Nikolai Dante comes along. Like nothing. Yeah, I think. Really yeah, I I know Sinister Dexter picks up comes in first, oh, and fair. I think that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, but that those two are definitely sort of the ones we're sort of waiting. We got like maybe a hundred more progs or something like that until we start having anything that'll then also be there ten years later or be thought about ten years later. You know. Yeah, oh, it's, it's dark another, times. It's another trailer, isn't it? It's another. Mm-hmm. It, uh, something so there's a storm coming ending there's something exciting happening as you say in, in what a year and a half time absolutely yeah and then we finally finish up with ads for the judge dread poster prog and batman dread 2 vendetta on gotham which will which me and fox will be talking about uh, next episode actually both of those things Excellent. very excited for vendetta on gotham it's just one big fight basically which i'm i'm yeah, all in favor yeah, I remember for. That. that's the cam kennedy one yeah yeah absolutely that's sort of a stopgap because i don't think because for the glenn fabry one which won't be actually released until like 1998 or something like that yeah there's at least one more stopgap after that one isn't there absolutely yeah they're all coming anyway with that said, as we post-mortem this dark time in 2000 AD, I must know, Mike, what are your top and bottom thrills for the 1993 Winter Special? Well, top thrill, I think um, it's, it's not easy. Um, it's, not, it's not the best special, but then I guess it's probably kind of average for specials of this era. <laughs> I think there's a lot of great art, and I think like Canned Heat, where you've got, if taken as a one-off, I think the uh, the story and the art is a, is a lot of fun. There's some ridiculous images. The 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 image of the guy with his legs shut up and the the sword through his back. I think is fantastic. And uh, the uh, brain in a glass tank uh, comment it makes that that's the top thrill for me. And the bottom thrill it's simply it's just thug thug thug. There's, <laughs> there's a few bad stories, but the thug story has so many words and takes so much longer to read than. Uh, Something like um, a Tracer or some some of the other Dross. Dowdemoto is no good, but it's a real quick read. Whereas Star right. makes you read an awful lot of words to get to get to uh, to get to that um, Stallone joke. Yeah, very very minor punchline as well for sure. 
Yeah, but uh, I think what 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 we really want to know is, comrade, what are your top and bottom thrills? Oh, thanks. Oh man, ah, like I'm okay on this special. Listen, I've listen, I've read Whoa. every special and annual for the last 15 years, so I've got a very weird palate for for them. You know, <laughs> um, like I appreciate that there's no re- that there's no repeats in this one or or no reprints. I appreciate that there's no text story as well. Like you are kind, you know, you are getting comics for the course of this and i yeah. think kind of the look in to earth side eight is interesting that said i feel like i'm actually pretty happy for solidarity with this one i didn't really like the thought the tharg story and i thought canned heat was really fun just of this like <laughs> ridiculous like like ridiculous ott you know fully over the top yeah send up of these indestructible action forces Plus, of course, I love a brain in a jar, you know, and just again, like, like, like I think you said, like, you know, RoboCop ripping off Dread. So now Dread, a Dread team ripping off a, a RoboCop is pretty fun. And, 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 and that's pretty much what I want. And again, like you also said, Colin McNeil's art, it's, it's such a, um, actually, I, I think it's a real good counterpoint to say Song of the Surfer, right? Like not to get too heady, but what I really love about McNeil's art in that is his ability to show violence and make you feel bad, you know, and feel grief for Chopper and him getting shot up and stuff. Whereas here, very similar wounds are hilarious and like really fun. You're kind of like, yeah, I get him, that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's almost like because he's taken it one step further that it becomes ridiculous rather than horrific, or maybe just because you don't care about the character or because the character's got such a ridiculous name. Yeah, it's just, it's just how how the tone can make sort of possibly similar things have have very different feels to them, which I think is an interest. You know, if you were if you were putting together some like visual language of comic stuff, I think it's an interesting point. I guess I don't know, not not to get too heady. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, fantastic. And that takes us to the end of the show. I hope everybody enjoyed it. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Contact contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner2k for everything else. Space Spinner 2000, you'll find us there. And hey, drop us a rating or review wherever it is you're listening. Helps us out. Uh, this show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline and get advanced episodes. Then come back next episode as we talk about our non-prog stuff for 2000 AD, or more non-prog stuff, I should say, as we look at poster progs for Dread and Slain, and then get some more vigilante action as Dread and Batman show down Vendetta on Gotham. And then... Start getting excited because the 1993 award seasons are approaching, putting on our tuxedos and talking about our favorite thrills from 1993. And we want to hear from you for both 2000 AD and the magazine for 1993. Please send us in your nominations for best art, best writing, best overall thrill, your favorite month or, you know, episode of Space Spinner from 93 and your MVP that's most valuable player or person from that year we want to hear from you and until then thank you very much i'm codrad he's michael and we are space spitter 2000 splendid for three